pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Cherry. Uh, thank you for Ted. Uh, just want to lift them up, their children, their family. Thank you for how you've grown them here at Bellwether, uh, for their friendship to many uh, in this church, uh, for their passion uh, for your kingdom and seeing it uh, spread uh, throughout the world. Continue to grow that passion for, uh, for lives here as they go about their daily life and for lives all around the world as they go to Honduras and they go to India and, uh, and lead them to, uh, to other places. But grow them, their marriage, their family, and through them, uh, grow this local church. In the name of Jesus, for your glory, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Um, she read uh, from... Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's our, our main scripture passage, but I want to read a couple of verses out of Luke 1. Um, this week I had the, uh, the fortune of going to a conference uh, with Joseph, JJ, and, uh, and Tabor, T-Bird. And uh, we learned a little bit about the Bible. And uh, one thing that really convicted me, I wanted to share with you all. So you can either go to Luke 1 or listen and I'm reading Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, probably uh, a couple of verses that many of us have read many times but uh, have often overlooked. So Luke writes, says, Since many have undertaken to set down an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully, from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Okay, stop there. Um, a couple, you would think, random verses, but the more you get into the Bible, the more you learn there is nothing random uh, that has been added or written. And the reason I wanted to share these couple verses was because, um, well, there's a Greek translation... And I don't know Greek, but I like to throw out a couple Greek words. Uh, it makes me feel smarter. Verse 4, Luke, writing to Theophilus, it says, So that you may know the truth. Okay? Uh, the Greek word for that you may know there is this word called uh, osphilius. Osphilius. And it's only used three times in the Bible, in the New Testament. One of them being here. It means to know, uh, literally, without a shadow of a doubt. It means to know that it is like locked and sealed and nailed shut. Actually, another time it's used in Acts, it is literally about a door that has been nailed shut. It is locked. It is, it is solid. It is the truth. It is, you don't have to doubt it. So I don't know if you can see where I'm getting to. He's saying, I'm writing you this so that you may know. It is locked. It is nailed shut. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to question it. The truth. What is the truth? He writes an account of the life of Christ, but more so the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and what that means for you and me. And then something else that's interesting that I learned is, you know, he called him most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. The thinking that Theophilus was a very prominent uh, Roman citizen, that he had status, he had wealth. And so Luke is saying, you are a most excellent man. You have things in this world, but you don't know the truth, and you're not living by the truth, and it's not nailed shut in your life. 
I don't know if that speaks to any of you, because some of you are most excellent, uh, but it spoke to me that there are many people in our world, and look, in our congregation, that, um, that have in this world, uh, but may not know, as in they may not know, as it is locked shut and nailed down and without a shadow of a doubt. You may ask, why do I say that? Because some of you are like, man, I, I did the whole song and dance. I may have even been baptized, as we saw, and whether you went to Sunday school or a small group, or made that confession, walked down the aisle. Why are you saying all this about making sure you know the truth that it's locked down? Because I see the way so many are living. I mean, so many in our world and, you know, greater Jackson area. But so many here, too, at Bellwether. And what I'm talking about is... I'm not saying you're not saved, but I never say if somebody's saved or not. But you might not be saved. But secondly, you're not walking with the assurance, okay, that word assurance of what Jesus has done, what it means for you today, what it means for you for eternity. And that's what we want to try to help in our humble nature through worship and through word to get you to see. It's like, well, why do you say that? Because I see, again, how people are living. Running a rat race, never slowing down. I mean, like literally needing an ambient and a couple glasses of wine just to get a good night's sleep. And that's the truth for many. And always feel like, man, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on my life. I'm missing out on my marriage. I'm missing out on our kids. And you can never catch up, and you never will catch up. Because it's a rat race. And listen, there is a peace and a joy and a fulfillment when, when we just know and can rest in what Jesus has done and what the resurrection means. I don't, that may have made some of y'all mad. I, I don't know. If you know me long enough, I, I like to press buttons, okay? I like to press your buttons. The reason I do that is, man, I love you enough that, man, somebody's got to say it to you. And I, I do. I love you that much. And somebody, I don't know, has got to be used to convict you about where all this where the ship is going and to slow down and to stop and reel it in and and take it seriously what Jesus has done take it seriously your church family commit to a body know the Holy Spirit's here know what Jesus has done we don't even have to fear death what Cherry just read about so that being said you know I was convicted after Easter to talk about resurrection uh, more specifically we hit it hard Easter morning, but over really the next month, maybe five weeks, we're talking about what, what is the resurrection, and we're talking about that with a question, the question being, what happens when you die? Because that's one of, the, one, of the, one of the main questions I've gotten over and over through the years. Well, not that I've like lived long, but last seven or eight years in ministry. What happens when I die? What's going on? What's going down? And so I'm trying to break it up over a couple weeks. And last week we talked about, you know, at the, at the moment of death, we're with the Lord if, if Jesus is in your life. And we looked at what Paul said to the church at Philippi. And today we're looking at what Paul says to the church in Corinth. And today we're talking about resurrection, but the resurrection of the body, okay? Not just the spirit going to heaven, okay? 
And I want to break this down because I remember the first time I heard this stuff, I was like, what, what are you talking about? But most of all, I want us to start thinking about what, uh, what Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 say. You don't have to go to your Bibles. It should be up on screen. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. It says to think about the things of heaven and not the things of this earth. And um, there we go. It says if you have been raised with Christ. So that's if you've been saved, okay? If he's like, I, I've done that. I, I've, I've knelt on my knees, came down to the altar. I, I've been saved. So if you've been raised with Christ, Paul's saying things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. And, man, that is a trap that all of us so easily fall into to just constantly, over and over again, have our minds on things of this life and this earth. And I'm not saying don't live here, but when we start thinking about heaven and the things of eternity, it changes how we live today and impacts us. So we're talking about the things of eternity talking about things of heaven and how that affects us today. So, as Cherry read, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. Now then, this passage talks about the resurrection of the body. Not Jesus' body, your bodies, my bodies. If we have Christ in us, the literal, physical resurrection of the body. The molecules and body parts coming together, and I don't know how it looks, I don't know if if some of y'all want to imagine that or not, but like the body's raising from the grave and physically having a new life in a new world, a new earth. It's kind of crazy. I know. It rocks my world too. This is the Bible. This is a biblical worldview. This is what happens when Jesus returns. Now then, the reason it rocks our world is that for, for whatever reason over the, I don't know, the last hundred or maybe a thousand years, our worldview about Christianity has changed. And we as the church today look at eternity and look what happens in the future very differently from the early church and these early believers. What I'm talking about is, and I'm right there with you, so this is how I know. We think about death, we think about eternity, and if we've accepted Christ, if we're saved, then... You know, we easily think, okay, we're in heaven, and, you know, it's kind of like spirits floating around, or ephoreal, if that's the right way to say that word. And, you know, heaven and spirits, and we're together, and it's, but it's kind of, it's, it's spiritual, it's, it's spirit-led, okay? I get that. And that's true, because our spirits will rise first. But the early church was very different. They were looking forward to something else. They were looking forward to the resurrection of the body. That when Paul writes, death has been swallowed up in victory, verse 54. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He's not talking about our spirits going to heaven. He's talking about death will not hold our, our, our bones and our skin and our flesh at bay. That one day Jesus himself as the king of kings will return and will raise us up. I don't, look, I don't know how it looks. I can't give you that answer. But the Bible says it. That the dead will literally be raised. And, you know, I'm preaching this on resurrection of the body because I hope at least, at a minimum, 
we begin to start looking at eternity, at, at life forever differently. That it's not just going to be about spirits in heaven. That one day, heavens and earth will unite, and the new heaven and new earth will be here. And it'll be physical. And we'll walk, and we'll run, and we'll eat. Actually, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a marriage feast over and over again, Jesus talks about. And we'll, we'll be with people, and we'll have real bodies. One other passage, if you want to turn to it, is in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to people who were very sad because Christians had been martyred, killed, and they died. And, you know, they were confused about what happens when you die. And they asked Paul, what happens when we die? And Paul, it's interesting, he doesn't direct them to, well, you're in heaven as a spirit. He directs them to, your body's going to be living on earth with Jesus and reigning forever and ever and ever for like tens of thousands and millions of years. This is what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I'm going to read briefly through verse 18. He's saying to them, do not be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, ever so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. The Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul is literally saying, and I hope you literally believe this, that if we are alive when Jesus returns, and we could be. I mean, he's coming. I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. It could be any time. If we're here, then, then we'll witness the dead in Christ, as he says, rise first. And then we will be caught up with them and with Jesus in heaven. And then we'll come to earth and, and reign forever and ever in his glory, in the presence of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, amen. It's good news. It's good news. Now, here, here's the deal, though. Because if I were you, I'd be asking, so what? Okay, I mean, not that some of you are, but I bet some of you are. You're like, so what? I mean, I got tax day tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I'm struggling with my kids' homework. Uh, I'm struggling with my job. I'm struggling with my marriage. Um, you know, pick your poison. That is great for eternity and thousands and thousands of years. But preacher, Monday cometh. What about tomorrow? What about the here and now? The resurrection of the body... It doesn't just give us hope for eternity or for the future. It should give us hope for today, for the present, for tomorrow. What do you mean? Well, just some practical stuff to throw at you. First off, um, if you remember earlier in the sermon, I talked about that passage in Luke, and I talked about missing out. That so many of us, and me included, have this constant name. We're missing out. We're missing out on whatever it is. Some of us, can feel like we're missing out on having, bear with me, a great body, okay? A, a beautiful body. And then some of us, I talked about this last week, we get, we've said it as wiser, but let's be real, we get old. 
And it's almost like maybe God's blessed us with a gift of beauty or talent or, you know, gracefulness or whatever it is or, you know, it's almost like a mini death, okay? Like when you have to say goodbye to the way your body was. And I've seen this and y'all have seen it or heard it and, you know, it's like you're at grandmother or granddad's or great aunt, great uncle's and you see a picture and somebody says, man, weren't you something back then? You know what I'm saying? You might have said it. And they look back and they're like, yeah, you know, I was something back then. And and maybe they were. But the bodies, as we talked about last week, they're moving, and Paul wrote about this, you know, moving towards death. And, you know, the good news for today in all this is that when Christ is in us, we ain't missing out at all on the body deal. Because one day, you're going to have your perfect body. You are. You're going to have the body you always wanted. And, you know, for us dudes, maybe there is a full-fledged six-pack, you know. JJ and I were talking about this. We're like, hey, man, you want to try till summer, get a six? I was like, no way, man. The best I've ever done is a two-pack, at best, you know. I mean, but seriously, the people who work, the men, the dudes who work over, you know, for the six-pack, you know, man, you know what I'm talking about. The guys and the gals who, man, we roast in the summer, you know, to get, get our son. And the guys and gals that, you know, do certain things or have certain surgeries to, to have the body that we want, that the body will ultimately break down and decay, and we'll look back and we might say we were something back then. That's the truth. The resurrection of the body, I mean... It, and you may just be like, man, I don't really care about this. I just want it now. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't help you if that's the case. But the resurrection of the body is saying that for thousands and thousands, for eternity, you're going to have this awesome body that is beautiful. You're already beautiful to God. And, yeah, beauty is like a gift, physical beauty that we look at. And, yeah, I mean, we're in a culture that just reveres beauty much more than it reveres God's word. That reveres beauty and reveres athleticism and physicality and all of that. And some have it and some don't. And if you don't, some try to get it desperately. What it says is that one day, and this is what I can preach, if you have Jesus in your life, you're going to have this, this, the body you've always wanted. You won't miss out. Secondly, family. Okay? I'm talking about like marriage and kids uh, or getting married. Um, I know some people, they don't live here, but some people will probably never get married because they're waiting for... Um, a godly man or a godly woman. And they're saying, I'm willing to never get married uh, rather than s- sell out. And so many folks look at, you know, if I don't get married, then, then I'm missing out. I'm missing out. Or, or maybe they can't have kids. Or maybe they don't get married, so then they're saying, I, I won't have kids. They feel like, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. The resurrection of the body... Heaven, what that means is you're not missing out on anything. Jesus compares heaven to a wedding feast. You're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to be closer, I believe, in heaven as brothers and sisters of Christ than any husband and wife ever have been. I mean, it's just a a new deal, a new way of thinking. You're going to have the family you always wanted to. You're going to have the children you always wanted to. I mean, maybe not like little ch- I mean, it's, it's such a different way of thinking. But you're going to have the people and the loves that you always, for eternity. 
I mean, there is no missing out in Jesus. Bottom line. And the other thing is, if we suffer, we talked more about this last week. I mean, if I physically we suffer over and over again, or if we have constant chronic physical pain, or if we have emotional suffering when we see loved ones die, and when we feel real pain, what gets us through this? The hope of the future helps in today. I mean, I, I want you all to know this. I want it to be asphelia, nailed shut. It changes the way you live, that you can move through suffering and the minor challenges or the major deals like the death or the chronic pain that, man, I've got a, a body awaiting. I've got a family awaiting. I've got heaven awaiting. I've got a new body, and it's all physical. It's not just even spiritual caught up in heaven. It's real, and it's here, and it'll be forever. And then we're like, well, we've still got tax day tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love y'all. I mean, and I want to shake, like, our, our church. I want to shake myself. But this would be known. And it would change some lives. And it might save you. Because point blank, I don't know if all of you are saved. Okay? Because it's easy to do the song and dance and come down the altar, have done it, and then, but I see the way people live. The Bible, a biblical worldview, what this, it is supposed to change us day by day for eternity. And then, here's the deal. The work we do today matters. The last verse. I love this verse. Verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, after he's been talking about the resurrection, he's talking about the future, and he says, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, excelling in the work of the Lord today. Because your work is not in vain. That's what we talk about over and over here. Your work today, your job today, legally, as a doctor, as a politician, as a business person, as a, someone in physical labor, your work matters today as you go. Your conversations matter today as you go. Your life matters today for the work of the Lord. I'll give you a simple example of this. Something that happened on this trip. Me and Joseph and T-Bird were at Hard Rock Cafe Orlando, okay? Some of y'all would be like cheesified, okay? They have good burgers, and the basketball game was on. Um, we decided, okay, here I go, we decided to, to not get a table, uh, and we sat at a bar. Um, table would say all the tables were booked, but um, sat at the bar, and, uh, but honestly, because the game was on there. We got a burger, okay? And we start talking with uh, the waitress, the bartender, or both, okay? And, you know, I mean, just start having a conversation. You know, what do you do? What's your life about? Um, she's in college. And just a vivacious personality. We told her, like, she ran the place. I mean, she may not be the boss, but, you know, she was, she was doing her thing. And I'm sure it got good tips and all that. She's doing her thing and just... Uh, uh, a great young girl, and so we're talking to her, and look, it's not like, you know, we're like, you know, like doing shots and cursing, and all. I mean, I'm not talking about that at a bar, okay? I'm talking about having a conversation, eating at a bar, which I like to do, okay? And, man, just say, checking on her life. I said, what do you want to do with your life? She's like, well, I'm, I love animals, and we want to be a vet? No, I might want to work down here, you know, all the animal, I don't know, plazas, deals that they got, you know, Orlando. So we had a good conversation, and we eat a burger and watch till halftime. And, uh, and then as we're leaving, I say, 
and I love doing this. I mean, I just love having a conversation, and, and JJ and Tay were right with me. And then I said at the end, I said, well, I, well I, before we left, I was like, I'm actually a pastor. What can I pray for you about? And man, it was like, it was like visceral, her face, just the, this freeze frame. Like, what? This, this doesn't fit my context. Like, we're just, we're just kind of hanging, and I don't get, so, you know, for a split second. And it's like, well, um, like, yeah, that I, that I get a job, that I graduate, and I can pay my bills. It's like, I will. Okay. And, you know, thanks, and gave her a good tip, and, and, um, we went somewhere else. I think we went home, right? Tabor? JJ? No. Um, we did go home. What I'm trying to say is every conversation matters. And not everybody's called to be a pastor or a missionary. Some of you are. But you're called to witness for Christ. And, you know, it's not, you know, if you die tonight, although that's, that's real. But it is, like, just loving people and even just asking, like, how can I pray for you? Like, I am a Christian. How could I pray for you? And, and doing it where it does melt people's hearts and it changes their context and they think differently about Jesus and God's word and his people. Why? Why should you do this? Why does any of this matter? It matters because the verse above 58, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. None of this will happen. Resurrection, bodies, you know, marriage feast, if it's not for Jesus and what he's done. Uh, a story I heard, there is a, uh, there's somewhere in Philadelphia, there is a saying. It was put on this wall around the War of Independence. And the saying says, as a people, the United States, we will bow to no king. You know, Revolutionary War, we will bow to no king. Or maybe it's like we will serve no sovereign. And, and we get that. I mean, in our DNA, as Americans, we're like, we're not going to bow to anybody. Okay? I mean, no one will rule over us. It's how we were founded. It's wired in us. And I believe it, and we get that. Now, C.S. Lewis said, he said, I believe in democracy because of human depravity or sin, and they have to be checks and balances. However, and this is great, we were, our human nature, we were wired to be ruled. Hear me on this. We were wired to be ruled. And we'll be ruled by something. It just depends what it is. We'll be ruled by our hunting schedules. We'll be ruled by our jobs, careers, possible promotions. We'll be ruled by pleasure-seeking, trying to get that second house. We'll be ruled by vacations. We'll be ruled by our dreams. We'll be ruled by our kids not missing out. We are meant to be ruled, and we will be ruled. That's, that's how it is. So why don't we choose to be ruled by Jesus? Because if it's not for him... Nothing else will matter. And what he has done for us, we, we should allow ourselves to be ruled by him. We should fall before our knees. We should bow down and thank Jesus. Like, well, what do I have to thank him for? Because he bought you with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. 
Why do our bodies matter? Why does it physically matter? 1 Corinthians 6 is that famous passage, and it talks about the temple of the Lord. Your body is the temple of the Lord. Your, your physical being matters. It matters now. It will matter for eternity when you're resurrected. Jesus bought your body for eternity, and he paid the price with his own dying. That's why we do communion every week as a physical, real reminder of what he's done. And we should bow before him. Because none of this will happen. We won't get any of this if it's not for him. And we won't get it if we don't kneel to him and don't allow ourselves to be ruled by him. So our human nature, our sins, like I, I'm not going to be ruled by anything. That has to be broken. I don't know how that happens. Maybe it's by worship. Maybe it's the word. But the Holy Spirit does it ultimately. Maybe it's by a person. And say, man, I'm not missing out. Because I will kneel before the throne of all eternity and all time and space and say, I'm yours. You've given your life for me. Now I want to give my life for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, just thank, we can't thank you enough. We, we really, we really can't um, for what you have done. And I just pray that we know it, Osphelia, and that we would live it. And, man, that, that our people, Jesus, uh, would, would, just the fear of missing out would halt. And you would overcome them and they could rest and be in the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit and know that for eternity they have a body, they have a family, they have a home. And it's, it's more amazing than any of us can imagine. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.